I did want to say a bit about Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a word that comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And during this season, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, uh, the Christian church prepares itself for the many ways that Christ comes. Not the least of which is Christ coming as a child born in a manger. And Reverend Mabry, I appreciate you mentioning that in your children's message today. That we believe that the one who came as a child in Bethlehem still comes to us today. And we believe that he will come again. And so Advent, while we typically focus on the birth of Jesus, really is about preparing ourselves for all of the ways that Christ might come to us in this holy season and in every season of our lives. The passage of Scripture that I'll be referencing today is in part this passage from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. But also, I'm going to uh, go back a little bit and tell a little bit more of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story because I think it will be helpful. And the title of the sermon today is, Through the Silence. Through the Silence. A couple of months ago, uh, I get together with one of my clergy colleagues every week and we just have coffee and just kind of share what's going on in our lives and uh, laugh a lot and pray a little and just enjoy one another's company. And we decided together that we would use uh, Bishop uh, Deborah Wallace Paget's book, uh, God Broke Through at Christmas, as kind of a jumping off place for our Advent preparations. And so I'm using the themes of each chapter out of her book, and yet I, I hope that there's enough of me in these that if you wanted to purchase that book and read through it as an Advent devotional, uh, I would recommend it to you. But today we're going to talk about how God breaks through the silence at Christmas. It occurred to me as I was preparing a sermon on God breaking through the silence, just how uncomfortable I am with silence, especially as it relates to the worship experience. There's nothing really that drives me any crazier than there would be this lull in between things happening during the worship service. Like, I want Jim already making his way to the center as soon as I finish preaching so that there's not this long silence between me going to sit down and him coming over to do the prayers of the people. Or I want to make sure that just as soon as the announcements are ready, that we're ready for the marksmen to begin their singing. And, and the longer it takes them to get up here, the more uncomfortable it makes me. I just don't like that dead silence in the middle of a worship experience. And it occurred to me that when I pray in anticipation of a worship experience, that oftentimes my prayers are like, God, please speak through the marksmen as they sing, or Jim as he prays, or Martha as she leads the liturgy, or Haran and Adam as they lead the music, or the choirs, uh, or maybe speak through the scripture it is being read, or maybe even speak through the sermon as it is being preached. I, I pray that God would speak through the hymns that we sing, but I really don't ever pray that God would speak through the silence. 
I mean, could God really speak through the silence if it took the marksman longer to get up here to sing or Jim longer to get over here to pray? Could God really speak through the silence? Could God really break through the silence? And yet, if you read in the Scripture, there are stories over and over again throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament about how God broke through the silence of nations and of people with a word that they needed to hear. In our Scripture lesson this morning, before we get to that particular passage of Scripture, we are told that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous and blameless before the Lord. And I wondered, why in the world would, would the Gospel writer find it so important at the very outset of their story to say that they were blameless and righteous? Well, I think the reason why the gospel writer wanted to include that is because the gospel writer also tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were unable to have a child of their own. And the gospel writer didn't want you and me to jump to conclusions. The conclusions that they would have immediately jumped to back in Zechariah and Elizabeth's day. The gospel writer doesn't want us to jump to the conclusion that the reason why they are barren, the reason why they cannot have children is because they're sinful. Because they've done something wrong or something bad. And this is some sort of divine punishment for them. That was what was a widely held belief back in Jesus' day because um, you needed your children to end up taking care of you when you got old. And so if you didn't have any children, then many people just assumed that the reason why you didn't have children is because God was displeased with you and God was punishing you. And so I think that's why... In Luke's Gospel, Luke wants us to know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless. The fact that they could not have children was not because God was displeased with them. It was not because there was some sort of sin that was in their lives. It's as if Luke is reminding you and me that good people experience disappointment too. That good people have heartaches and struggles in life just like anybody else. Well, we are told that Zechariah has been praying for this child for a long, long, long time. And, and it's interesting to me that God picks a very important moment in Zechariah's life to finally come and assure Zechariah that he's going to answer this prayer. And the very important moment that, that God chooses to speak to Zechariah is in the context of a worship experience. Now, preachers love a text like that, right? It's a way to get you to come to church. Come to church because God might have this wonderful thing that God wants to share with you in the context of worship as we gather together for worship. But it's even, it's even more important than, than something that a preacher might want to use to entice you to come to church. Um, back in Zechariah's day, he was a priest from the line of Aaron. If you were a direct descendant of Aaron, you were a priest. And that meant that there were a lot of priests. There are some estimates that there were as many as 24,000. 
thousand priests uh, at any one time. And so that you could be chosen by lot to go into the temple and to light the incense at the beginning of the day and then to make sure that a fresh new incense was available at the end of the day after the last sacrifice. That was kind of like a once in a lifetime opportunity. The chances that you would even get to do it once were slim but almost unheard of would be the possibility that your name could be drawn by casting of lots a second time. And so this is a real important moment for Zechariah. He has finally been chosen by lots to go into the temple and to prepare the incense before the first sacrifice and to make sure that the incense has been trans, uh, made new at the end of the day but after the last sacrifice. And it's at this moment that God chooses to answer uh, Zechariah's lifelong prayer. And we're told that he comes, an angel comes, and, and stands at the right of the altar. That is, that is important because that, that is a highly favored place in Scripture. And so this angel comes and appears, and Zechariah is scared. He is absolutely scared. And the reason why he's scared is because he hasn't seen an angel before. I mean, uh, if you remember at the way the Old Testament ends, there's this period of about 400 years where everybody thinks that God is silent, where that God is not listening, God is not acting, God is not doing anything. And so uh, neither Zechariah or any of his contemporaries had seen an angel in their entire life. And then all of a sudden, while Zechariah doing his priestly duty in the temple an angel appears to him and the angel says do not be afraid Zechariah for the Lord has heard your prayer and the Lord is here to answer your prayer now and you are going to have a son not only answering your prayer for your own descendant for your own child but this child is also going to be about the redemption of Israel uh, this is a continuation of what God was doing in in the Old Testament and, and so this is a personally answered prayer and it is a corporately answered prayer because not only did Zechariah want a son of his own but he desperately also wanted the redemption the continuation of God's covenant with the people of Israel and this is an answer to both. You will have a son and you will name him John. Not only did, was Zechariah afraid, but he also had doubts. He expressed those doubts to, to the angel. Uh, and it's a good reminder that even righteous and blameless people have doubts sometimes. Even though Zechariah's name itself literally means God remembers. When God shows up and says, hey, I remembered, I heard you, I'm answering your prayer. Zechariah has doubts. After all, God's been silent for 400 years as far as Zechariah can tell. And after all, Zechariah is old. He's beyond the age of childbearing years. He and his wife both. Long thought that was a pipe dream. And then the angel says to Zechariah, because you do not believe me, 
You're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's a little heavy-handed, God. I mean, that's a little over the top. But when I read this story, I don't read this silence as punishment from God. I read this silence as an opportunity for preparation. To hear God. To see God. To respond to God. It's as if the angel is saying to Zechariah, Hey, why don't you just be quiet? Hold your tongue. Just watch. Just listen. Just see what I am about to do. Well, meanwhile, there were some worshipers that had gathered outside, and they were sort of worried, you know, lighting the incense didn't really take that long. You were supposed to come back out after you'd done that and give a customary blessing to all of the people that were worshiping outside but who couldn't go into this most holy place. And so they began to get worried about it. And then when Zechariah comes out, and now all of a sudden he can't talk, now all of a sudden he can't do the customary blessing, then they began to realize that something very unusual had happened. And fast forward to our text today. Elizabeth has now had her baby. And it has come time for them to name the baby. And she says that the baby should be named John. But all of the people that are there with them were like, no, you don't... There's nobody named John in your family. You shouldn't name the baby John. You should name the baby Zechariah Jr. I mean, after all, this poor guy can't even talk anymore that's his father. This may be the only child that he ever has, so why wouldn't you want to name him after his father's namesake, Zechariah? And Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. We're not naming the child Zechariah. We're going to name the child John. And they're thinking, this woman has lost her mind. And so they are so sure that the child should not be named John that they even go to Zechariah, who can't talk, and they ask him what the child's name should be. And John gets out a, a, a writing utensil and probably a chalk of some kind, and, and on some sort of a board he writes, his name shall be called John. And as soon as he names the child John, Luke says that Zechariah was able to speak again. And when he was able to speak for the first time, what did he do? He praised God. I think the only way that Zechariah could have praised God is if he saw that silence, not as some sort of punishment to him for having doubts, but he saw and he used that silence as a time of preparation. So oftentimes we think of silence being an example of God's absence. When it seems that this story suggests that silence is a sign of God's preparation of us. What I want you to hear in this first Sunday of Advent is that God oftentimes breaks through the silence in wonderful and powerful ways. Silence can be a good thing. 
if we use that silence to listen, to discern, to seek the Lord. But it's really hard to find silence anytime in our lives, just like Reverend Mabry said in his children's sermon. It's especially hard to find silence during the Christmas season, is it? There's just so many activities going on, so many places we have to be and go, so many things that we have to do. And so for us to find time for silence so that we might hear God, prepare for God coming, that can be really, really difficult. You might have to trade off your kids with somebody else and say, hey, we want silence on Tuesday night. And you can have silence on Wednesday night. So you bring your kids over here today. You go over there tomorrow. Silence may be turning off the radio while we're driving in our cars. And just uh, using that time to say, God, how would you speak to me? Visit me now, God. Silence might be turning off the TV at night. It, it, it might be getting up a little earlier before your family. So that you can spend some time in solitude with God. What if we found even just a few moments to listen for God this Advent? You may think that silence is never a good thing. In fact, you've got evidence of silence being bad things in your life. Uh, it might be the silence that you're experiencing after a divorce or after a diagnosis or after uh, a job change. In your mind, there may be nothing good that can come from this silence. But what if, what if in this silence, God is just preparing your heart? What if God is preparing to come to you in a very real and tangible way? What if, despite how silence might look, we said, God... I'm going to use this silence to wait patiently on you to come, to speak, to work. How might God honor that prayer? During this season of Advent, let's look for the ways that God might break through the silence.